Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, welcome to the podcast. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome Robert Lopez to the show. Robert, welcome. Thank you. Excited to be here. Robert is the SVP of sales at JustWorks, where he leads all new customer acquisition. They help entrepreneurs grow their business through an all-in-one HR benefits and payroll platform focused on SMB. So Robert, uh, today we'll talk a lot about how you have actually been instrumental in scaling the sales team there at JustWorks. Robert was actually the first hire at JustWorks, and uh, he's now leading a team that is approaching 200. So there's a lot of lessons, I think, to be learned from his experiences. Before we get into that, just want to get to know you in one particular way. I'm going to ask you this one question I love to ask guests, which is, what is your favorite sales book of all time? And what was a key takeaway for you from that book? Predictable revenue is probably the, I have like a financial background. And so I really like like the math behind trying to figure out how do you build a sales funnel? Like what makes the most sense? And it's interesting because if you reflect back on it, it's it's not the most complicated thing, but like no one had been doing it. And now a lot of people are doing it. But I, I really like the way that the book spelled it out. And I think it's still very successful. And a lot of the lessons in there are very useful to this day. Crossing the chasm and built to last are also like strategy, like scaling company books that I highly, highly recommend, which it's like earlier on for like product market fit and how do you scale and build an enduring company. But it also speaks a lot to like culture and a lot of amazing products out there, a lot of incredible like entrepreneurs. But at the end of the day, it's the people that, that make the difference. And if you can provide that like positive, winning, like challenging, interesting culture, like that, that's really what's going to differentiate you outside of you know having a great product. Well, awesome. So that gives a sense of you know where your head is at both in sales and strategy. I think a lot of that's a good lead-in. Bring us back to day one at JustWorks. What was it like when you walked in there? Where were they at product-wise as the first salesperson there? Yeah, it was interesting. The business was obviously like a very different business. So there, there definitely was a product and it was in market. They had launched the first product in the summer prior. And so the go-to-market model was different and the go-to-market model was really kind of around uh, throwing events, a little bit more of an enterprise approach versus like an inside sales approach that would work. And so I think that like one of the issues that they ran into was that the, the sales cycles were just taking too long. And so the board and you know the founder decided like, hey, let's try this, let's try the sales thing. What I really liked about the inside sales model is it's very numerical driven and it, there's a lot of numbers. Obviously there's like the culture and the strategy and the, the selling piece, but it's also, there is a, an aspect of numbers involved there. And so I can't remember exactly the number of customers we had, but I think it was probably like 30-ish, 30, 40 customers, something along those lines. A um, lot of friends and family, um, but you know the revenue was really small. I mean, the tens of thousands of dollars. Who was selling when before you got there? Who got those first 30, I guess, friends and family to become pseudo-customers, I guess, at the time? When I got there, there was nobody. It was really kind of just signing people up who called and, and were interested in. Earlier on, there was someone else involved, actually like a co-founder of the business. That was kind of like the initial idea where one person would focus on building the product and one person would focus on the distribution and didn't like a lot of you know founder stories uh it didn't work out that way and so kind of went their separate ways and, and she left the company and, and that's kind of when i stepped in to to lead the the distribution side of things you're there and you're 
inside seller and inside sales manager and VP, I guess, all rolled up into one. Where did you start? Was there already a process or and or product market fit that it was just a matter of kind of hiring and training people? I'm just wondering, what, what do you do first? For me, it was one of those things where I, I kind of the way I like approach life is like, what's the worst that could happen type of situation. My approach really started before I joined, which was like doing the demo process, like as a anonymous buyer and running. I actually ran the competitive process with all of the competitors at the time, where I went through like the prospect um, experience with them. And I think that for me, that's what got me a lot of confidence around coming to JustWorks because when I did the approach and I like ran like like we have a small family business based in LA, and when I did that. I was like, oh wow, like this is <laughs> this is like pretty bad. Like if you could build a good product and create a better like sales experience and you could create a better onboarding experience, you could build a really big business. So that's kind of what gave me a lot of confidence around it. But you know, when I came in, literally it was just like getting on the phones and talking to customers, talking to prospects and really trying to understand what their needs were. Um, because I figured at the end of the day, like if I was gonna build a team around it, I really needed to know what it was like myself. And so that's really where a lot of the initial time was spent in addition to building a hiring pipeline. Because the initial goal was like, all right, let's get like at least four A's in here within the first few months so we can see if we can actually scale this thing. And the previous two or three months before I joined, it was like two customers had like signed up every month. You know, it's one of these situations where you know you're going to be out of cash like in the fall. So when you have that type of pressure, it's very fascinating and it's like interesting and it creates an immense amount of focus because there's so many tertiary, like extraneous things that exist in the world. But like, here are the things that I need to focus on. It was like hiring, learning the product and like getting new customers. And when you're boxed into something like that, it actually makes decision-making really easy. I want to rewind to you. So picking up the, the story thread where you, you know, you're learning the product, you're also selling to figure out what the motion is. But you have this task to hire your first four AEs over the, the course of two-month period. Did you already know who those four were? They were in your network or were how were you recruiting those four? No idea. Um, didn't know anybody. So I had actually spent the previous three years living in Latin America. So I was living in Chicago and then I was in Latin America for a bit. And it's very interesting because we uh, knew nothing. And so literally it went straight to LinkedIn and I knew some of the more transactional SMB inside sales focused organizations here. And so what we were really looking for was somebody who wasn't so tenured, but like understood what the SMB like sales process was like, but at the same time wanted more and wanted a more consultative sale. Because the stuff that we deal with is is pretty complex. So we knew we needed some people who were like really intelligent and were able to explain very complex things in a simple manner. And so Literally, it was just on LinkedIn, like essentially growth hacking, like trying to view as many profiles as possible, who would view me back and striking up conversations. So all the initial hires that we made of those initial folks was just me and like the CEO, like sourcing on LinkedIn. Like we just literally spent like nights and weekends doing that. And we got a decent amount of folks in the door and felt pretty good about a few of them. And some of them actually are still working with us to this day. Actually... Two of the first three that we hired are still at, at JustWorks in, in various roles. Wow. Are they are those two still in sales or they've branched potentially out into other business functions? They're actually both still in sales. So one, she leads one of our markets in California, and the other one leads some of our expansion markets in the Midwest and the mountain region. It's been a very interesting like 
travel or like trip, if you will, because when you think about like life and you think about progression and they both celebrated their five year anniversaries, we've done a really good job, whether it's like lucky, fortunate, and we've been deliberate about it, but like having folks that have stuck around for a while. And, and I think this is like a really valuable lesson. And so I didn't know at the time, but I realize now reflecting back on it is when you have a, a good employer brand and you're a best place to work and all these types of things, like recruiters and companies target your people left and right. And I think that our ability to offer individuals different opportunities within the company, so whether that's like focusing on a different region, it's like, you know the company, but the challenges for us are different based on the region that you're selling into because employment law is different, different health insurance carriers are different. So you have to learn and experience that sales approach and that sales process. It's very different depending on the market that you're in. And so it's almost like you're starting a new job within the same company, but so you know the culture, you know it's good, you know that your colleagues, but you get to challenge yourself again. And I think that we've been very fortunate to be able to have folks in different roles and, and continue to evolve there. And that's been something that's been pretty exciting for me to watch. Do you think that there are a lot of salespeople who want to be long-term individual contributors? Or is like is that a rarity or is that more common? You know, it's interesting. We've been struggling with this and it's this like philosophy that maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. And one of the errors we made a year or two ago is that like we built this phenomenal progression plan and like that definitely wasn't an error. And it's actually also helped our tenure on the individual contributor side of things. But we focused so much there and it was almost an expectation that once you hit certain milestones that like you were supposed to become a manager. But not everybody like wants to become a manager. And we didn't really like address that as much as we should have. There definitely are those folks that really want to master their craft, right? And I think it's upon the company to like offer them more responsibility and more visibility and more recognition. We have a sales development program, which is more entry level. And what we found is that like some of the more senior reps who have been in the IC roles for a while, giving them an opportunity to mentor and invest with somebody earlier in their career has given them this like almost sense of management without like the responsibility of being a manager. You get the best of both worlds to a certain extent. You had mentioned when you were recruiting those original four people that you were heavily focused on the motions that they had completed, which I think is a critical hiring factor, right? Is if you want to hire people to, you know, sell a 1K transaction versus a 10K transaction or 100K or a million or 10 million, right? Like those are, those are different skill sets. The other dimension that people often think about hiring around is exposure to the vertical market. And it's sometimes hard to get both of those things to align. To what extent was hiring people who had the language and knowledge of what HR decision makers think about one of your hiring criteria back then? For the first three years, we didn't hire a single person who had HR experience or benefits experience or payroll experience. And that was pretty deliberate because... The way that we thought about it is that if you can understand the motion, if you understand the psyche of the business owner and like taking a quick step back, like our sale is like, although it is to the SMB, it's an enterprise sale to the SMB because our deal, when you take in health insurance and all the insurances into account, these can easily be six figure deals and easily be seven figure deals actually for like a 7,500 person company because health insurance is the second or third largest business expense that a, that a company makes. And so if we were going to hire HR people and people from the industry, so the PEO or the payroll industry, honestly, like people couldn't believe that we were selling what we were selling over the phone. Everyone told us that like, forget about it. 
Like an entrepreneur is never going to buy something as sensitive and emotional and as important as payroll and health insurance and workers' comp insurance and all these things over the phone. They're just not going to do it. And so we got a, a ton of doubters, a ton of haters who were like, no way. So we would interview a ton of people from the competition. And when I would like interview them, I was just like, I don't know. Like, I didn't see the fire. I just saw like the questioning around it. And so if you give us like smart, hungry, interesting, curious people, we can teach you the industry. We can teach you the approach. But if you think that like it can't be done or you think that this is the way we've done it forever, it's much harder to do. And so why like the team is like much earlier in tenure uh, and age is because a lot of the folks we found in industry just were like very used to doing it their way. Got it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's interesting because one often thinks that if you're going to be selling right to this specialized market, you need to be able to come in and challenge them, right? For lack of a better term, but pitch them a, an innovative business idea. Is it that the segment you were selling into, right? They have the need for this product and they're you don't need to educate them in that way. Is the sale different in that respect? So it is in the sense that we aren't selling a new product in a new market, right? We're selling a new product in an existing market. And so everyone needs what we have, right? Everybody needs something, but everybody's using something, which is good in the sense that it's verified, but it's bad in the sense that everybody's using something. It's a huge pain in the ass to rip somebody's payroll out. And it's a huge pain to like actually change their health insurance. But the thing that's important to us, it's not a question of if the company moves, it's a question of when. And that's the big thing that I tell our folks, like we'll lose deals like two, three, four times before they end up coming on. And it's like that persistency piece, which is really critical. And like the trust piece because of what we're buying is so important, right? It's like, you know, especially if you have children, you go to the doctor and like health insurance is like really important. And so it's like building that trust and those companies like ensuring that they know that we're there and just continuing to create value in the sales process and like whether it's through content or or anything the companies have to make a decision once a year when they go through open enrollment and so we just want to position ourselves in the right way we're fortunate though that we have a massive addressable market right a lot of businesses make this error where they don't have that big of an addressable market and like <laughs> they get squeezed we're very fortunate that there's you know a million plus businesses out there that could be using justworks I wanted to transition a little bit to like the, the next major inflection point, next major growth point. So eventually you've got enough AEs and it's time to put a manager, I would assume, between you and the individual contributors. At what point did you make that decision? So we did that. So we raised some money. We raised a Series A in the fall of 2014. And then at one point, this was like, I think, an error on my end. I, I definitely didn't do it soon enough. But it's so hard because like you're so emotionally connected to these people and like you really want them to like not go anywhere, right? But you've invested so much. And so I think at one point I think I had like sixteen or eighteen direct reports and it was like maddening. But I knew that first manager hire was gonna be very critical. And so I, I didn't want to feel forced or compromise on it. You know, I think that it, it was basically I would say about a year after I started was the time. And it was too late. It should have been like closer to six months, six to nine months, I'd say. Fortunately, like that individual we hired back then is actually still with JustWorks. And now he he's a director and he leads our East region. And it's been fantastic to like watch like him grow and what have you. But that was kind of like that next phase where we we had him and then we had the genius idea, which by genius I mean it turned out to be one of the worst decisions we've made. 
at the time we like had been fortunate to have a decent amount of inbound leads. And I think this is like a really important lesson. Um, and it really shaped my thinking moving forward as a business, which is like, we, we ran some advertising campaigns and we had a, a huge flow of inbound lead in the fall of 2014 and the spring of, of 2015. And then that like dried up and we were like, Oh shit. Like, what do we do? You know, we kind of had to like reteach ourselves that like that outbound, like, prowess right and we got really spoiled and at that point we decided to do like an inbound and outbound team and i think it can work in the right business but like we didn't have the goal set properly and like goal setting at those stages is so hard because there's nothing there's no track record there's no history around it and that was just like a huge culture fail since we didn't set the goals or the compensation right for those two teams and you split your inbound team from your outbound team exactly so we basically had outbound reps and we had inbound reps and the outbound reps had lower goals than the inbound reps, but definitely not low enough. And uh, it created like a really tough moment from a culture perspective because the perception was it was unfair and what have you. And we definitely had some attrition because of it. But you know, we course corrected in January, like six months later, and um, it's been in a much better place. It's not because it can't work; it's that the way we executed it didn't work properly. Was the course correction to move to either territories or named accounts where you got a mix of inbound and outbound, or did you do something different? Well, at the time, we were just in one territory, but we just kind of um, we spread it evenly. And then at that time, we were also beginning to like develop other distribution channels. And so that also helped. But yeah, we just basically moved to more of like a round-robin approach. And at that time, our sales development methodology and the way that we thought about that had matured such that we actually had a more predictable way to go about doing it. On that note, people talk about, you know, do you round robin the inbound or do you disproportionately direct the inbound to your best people? So we round robin within the geos that those reps are assigned to. And we do it such that um, it is size segmented. So the more senior reps get the larger deals, the more junior reps get the smaller deals. But they don't go to like the best folks. And intuition says like do that, right? But intuition can be very tricky and, and can trick you because what's going to happen there is that like the newer reps who might be good see that and perceive that as unfair, right? And I think it is unfair. Um, so you got to give everybody an at bat. And I think that earlier on, I definitely made some, we, we made some errors like earlier on about this, but right now it's like everything's on an equal playing field. Everybody's got a good opportunity. And, you know, if we lose a deal, we lose a deal. I've been able to separate myself from the pain of like losing a deal and it'll all work out. But I think that you got to give everybody a shot at it. I totally agree with you on this one. The disproportionate flow to the, to the winners is a maybe short-term smart thing to do, but is a long-term tragically terrible thing to do. Yeah, and I think the other piece real quick is that, and I made this mistake before where it's like, if you're dealing with a prospect and it's like a really big deal and like maybe they had a bad experience with the sales rep or the AE on the deal and they request to talk to somebody else, like, you know, we just say, look, like this person's really good at their job. If you don't want to work with them, then like maybe JustWorks isn't the right place for you. And really like supporting your people is also like really important and also adds to like creating that culture because at the end of the day, like that customer might come or go and might buy later or might not buy, what have you. But like those employees and the people that like are sitting next to you, they're the ones that are gonna like over the long run gonna define success, whether you win or you lose. 
right? And I think that that is really, really critical. And I think a lot of people, it's very easy to, to make the other decisions for like the short-term game. But if you're trying to build a company for the ages, you're trying to build a business for the long term, it's all about investing in your people. Something I've seen time and time again, no matter where I've worked, is you really have to plot productivity and tenure. And you see the experience curve. And I've, I've seen it in sales everywhere I go. So, I mean, to your point, if you disproportionately reward people, the newbies are disadvantaged. And then you then people create more complications, which says, okay, well, for six months, you get a grace period where you get the same equal weighted share, I guess. And then you get evaluated, but it just it just doesn't work. When you look back and to, to ramp time, like ramp time is like in our bit, we were trying to raise money in the early days. People were like, whoa, like your ramp is like that long. And then no one could like believe it because our ramp time is really hard. We almost like have a two-year ramp. You know, earlier on, like people are like, that's crazy. Like, how how do you build a business that way? But when when I look back to some of these folks, and you know, we have a couple of folks on the team who just finished their second year. And they did like 3x, almost 3x what they did their first year at JustWorks. And they will continue to kill it. And so as long as like you're investing over the long run and like making sure that those people continue to grow, that's really what it's all about. We've been fortunate to have like very, very good retention numbers, you know, 99 plus percent. But if you're not retaining your customers, then that's where it can squeeze you. Do your reps hold on to the accounts they close? Are they are they hybrid AAE AMs or do they hand off at some point? So we've built our whole progression plan based on what we call the library. And the idea is, is that you know if you close a business, if you close a fifty person company, and that business grows to one hundred and fifty, that like goes towards your overall book of business. If you close a fifty person company and that company churns in month three, that goes against your book of business. So that's how progression plans lined up. We do once a deal like books and signs, it passes to an onboarding manager, which then goes to an account manager. So they're not like maintaining the relationship. But we don't have a traditional like annual renewal process that a lot of SaaS companies have, due to the fact that it just kind of continues. Like as long as you continue to pay your people. You're continuing to pay JustWorks. So that's like nice in effect. We do have a quasi-renewal such that we have to renew everybody's health insurance every year. So they go through open enrollment. So it's a little bit different in that sense. But can a rep who's been there for four years then, I forgot if you called it a library, can they basically in, in that plus and minus balance sheet, if you will, can they be still getting paid for people who are were signed up for companies that, that from four years ago? To an extent, Yes as long as they're continuing to hit 90% or more of their quarterly number. Got it. So they still have a threshold. So they can't just sit back on rest on their laurels. And I would assume the, the quote unquote compensation cost of sales on the ongoing annuity stream is it's much lower than it is on the new business side. It's much lower and it goes down every year and it does cap off eventually. But yeah, I mean, we have folks that have, you know, one, two, three, four plus million dollar books of business now it's really exciting, right? Like they've, the amount of like value they've created for the company is like really meaningful. And I think I was talking a little bit earlier is aligning like compensation, right? It's like if the company benefits, the rep benefits. And so there are reasons that like a company might leave and it's not the rep's fault. There's vice versa that happens, but we really want to make sure that it's aligned. And I think it also helps with retention and the fact that like, you know, we're investing in them for the long run. Well, if people do want to learn more about JustWorks and opportunities there or connect with you otherwise, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, it's uh, really easy. So uh, my email is just robert at justworks.com. And so, yeah, you can just email me there. Once again, 
I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.